Welcome to the Remote CEO Show. My name is De Niro Bartolini, AKA De Niro B. I'm an acclaimed business coach and my moonshot is to change the face of work and business forever. With each episode, we bring you some of the most inspiring and insightful interviews with six, seven, eight, and nine figure entrepreneurs to crack the code on how to build your remote empire and have fun while doing it. Thanks for stopping by and let's get started. What is going on, CEOs? Daniel will be here with another episode of the Remote CEO Show. Today, I'm here with GV Freeman. GV is a founder, coach, and growth strategist with over 20 years of experience living at the center of a marketing product, sales, and self-care Venn diagram. GV is the creator of Founders Thriving, a movement designed to help founders live happier lives while they're building the business of their dreams. GV also spends his time as a serial entrepreneur, yogi, coach, and spiritual tourist. Grounded in the cornerstones of alignment, strategy, and process, he pulls from all these disciplines to help startups launch, companies grow, and founders thrive. Super excited to have this chat with him, so let's get started. GV, thanks a lot for being here at the Remote CEO Show. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And, you know, we were talking before we started recording today. I am super, super excited for you to be here on the show because I have been practicing everything that you've talked about for a very long time. And I am not kidding you when I say that it changed my life, my personal life, my business life, my relationships and everything else. So can't wait for you to drop some knowledge and to get my listeners excited. So before we get started, can you please tell us what you were doing before becoming an entrepreneur? I am like a lot of the entrepreneurs that are probably on your show and listening that say, I've always been an entrepreneur. Like I was the, I was the lemonade stand entrepreneur. I grew up in a tiny little town in the middle of central Nebraska. So I literally had a lemonade stand in my front yard when I was probably eight years old. Um, so in, in one respect, I have always had the entrepreneurial spirit the way that manifested for me was more of an intrapreneur. So I would walk into a, a smaller software company, professional services company as an employee and bring a, an entrepreneurial spirit, um, but as an employee. And I did that for like the better part of 15 years, um, helping business owners grow their businesses. Um, and what I found is that um, I always wanted to create something myself. Um, and there was a lot of weird stuff that came up. Like I would get so invested in somebody else's project, but then be upset when I didn't reap all of the rewards. And, you know, I had to be told time and time again, like, well, yeah, the reason is because you're not taking on all of the risk. So um, I decided to start taking on more risk. It's a very interesting situation. So you were working full time for someone else, realized that no matter how hard you worked towards achieving that goal, you were not going to get uh, the reward that uh, the owner was getting. And so you got started. So let me ask you, what was your first business venture when you went out on your own? Oh, the first one, I had a failed startup from the early 2000s called Clickable Community. It was a like a 
a scalable mapping application um, that I wanted people to like, uh, we were working in the travel and tourism industry and um, it was for chambers of commerce and, uh, and visitors bureaus to like be able to put everything on a single map and categorize it all. This is really before like Google Maps and all of the, the categorization that they've done. Like we were trying to get out ahead of it. Um, and it was a great idea that uh, we never really ever found problem solution fit, let alone product market fit. And it was also really early on, like SaaS didn't even exist yet. So there was, there was really like, this was gonna be installing something on your own web server. Um, so it was a lot more challenging back then. For sure. And so that was your first uh, venture. It failed. And now I do want to get into a bit how you felt about that uh, when you had your first failed venture. Was it something that stuck with you in the long run and decided, well, from now on, I'm, I'm going to learn from these mistakes and move forward? Uh, was it upsetting? Were you anxious or stressed out? How, how were you feeling back then? You know, it was a side hustle. So Okay. It wasn't my full, like I talk a lot about self-worth and I didn't have all of my self-worth wrapped up in, in the clickable community bucket. So when it failed, I sort of had backstops. I had other places to go to feel good about myself. Not every entrepreneur or founder has that option. Like if they have mortgaged their home and it's their only thing that they're, they're planning on. And if it fails, it's, it feels very different. Um, for me, I will tell you what, the, the, what ended up becoming the product founder's journey, which is a course that I created and that I sell, it really became the foundation for all the mistakes that you shouldn't make when you're building a software company. <laughs> and, and really the last 15, 20 years of my life has been a collection of those mistakes, going in and seeing what founders did, what founders are continuing to do, and the mistakes that they're making. And I basically collected all of those things together. I turned them around and said, don't do this, but do this instead. And I turned them into a course. That's very cool. And when did you launch that course to put things into perspective? Yeah, courses was 2019. Um, I wrote a book in 20, started writing a book in 2017 called the SAS Field Manual, which was really the, my first attempt at telling people how to build their tech company and incorporate self-care at the same time. Then a couple of years later, that turned into a course. Um, and then what it is right now is like, it's really shifted from building your business to much more self-care and building a healthier relationship with your company, which has recently turned into to the movement, what I call Founders Thriving. That's amazing. And so you, so you said 15 years working on, on building and, or, or really not building, but uh, gathering all this information and, and, and learning all these mistakes. So it was a long journey it, throughout this journey. So did you have any other failed businesses? Did you feel, you know, the stress and the anxiety and, and the burnout yourself, or was it something that you were able to avoid because you learned from other people's mistakes? I don't think you have to be the founder or an entrepreneur or have your own business to experience burnout. Um, and again, I, I, my word, entrepreneur, everybody's word, entrepreneur, um, I walked into these businesses, these, you know, sometimes 10 to 25 person businesses that were struggling to grow. And I walked in and I felt like it was my baby. Um, 
So I put my heart and soul into every one of the projects, every one of the companies that I was working full time for, and I absolutely felt burnout. Um, I, at one point in time, really, I, I will tell you where the big shift for me was working for a husband and wife co-founding team. And mm -hmm. it was a pretty challenging product. They hired me as the, uh, the director of marketing and product. So I reported to the wife for product. I reported to the husband for marketing. And I'm telling any one of your listeners, I would not recommend that. <laughs> um, <laughs> not only to have two bosses, but to have both of those bosses be a husband and wife was even more challenging. But what happened, and this is something that I frequently see with a lot of the founders that I work with, is that a lot of my first family issues started showing up in my second family. So if we think of our second family in a lot of times as our work, as our, as our uh, employees and co-founders and peers, my first family issues with mom and dad started to really flare up working with this husband and wife. And fortunately I was working with an amazing therapist at the time. And I did some really, really deep emotional work around um, where love comes from, who to accept, or like how I was getting love and who I was expecting love from. And I realized that I was never going to get what I wanted from these two co-founders because I was, what I was always wanting was from, from my mom and dad. And that was probably the biggest breakthrough that I had. I, I broke through a lot of first family issues and I felt enormous amounts of pressure and stress to succeed and to, to have their company um, prevail. But really, I ended up doing more work on myself than, than them. They got a great rebrand out of the deal, though. That's awesome. That's a great story. Uh, I wanted to talk about, um, so right now, we, you, you developed the course, uh, you launched in 2019. Now you have this retreat we're going to get to in a minute. So I uh, wanted to ask you before we really talk about the retreat, why did you put together this retreat? Who is it for? And why do you feel the retreat was the best way to help people heal and, uh, and change their lives? So I have a theory, um, probably unpopular amongst a lot of people, that entrepreneurship is actually a mental health condition. <laughs> I mentioned... <laughs> I mentioned um, like being the lemonade stand kid. And I also know that there's a lot of people who go out and like have a lawn business or they're, they're doing something early on in their childhood. They're going out and they're making money. And dare I say, they're, they are experiencing validation from other people when they're really young. And I have a theory, it's completely untested and I'm no PhD and I'm not a therapist and I can't even claim to be one on TV, but I have a theory that that is a lack of validation that we're not getting in the, in the home. Or it's a pattern that our parents say, you gotta work hard to be successful. So that's sort of where this entrepreneurship bug comes from. And the last 15 years of my life have been unraveling that realizing that validation and happiness and joy and purpose and fulfillment and contentment can actually come from the inside. So why I created the retreat is I took the best, the most powerful experiences of my 15 years of healing, and I jammed them together in a five-day retreat to give 
entrepreneurs, business owners, and founders an opportunity to experience a portion of what I have. And hopefully when they get to experience even a little tiny bit of relief from the pressure of running their business, they'll come back into their own life and say, wow, I want to incorporate that. I want to incorporate some of this into my life. Like this is interesting to me. I want to do more study or I want to practice more yoga or I want to do more breath work. So it's really an experiential opportunity. I call it the poo-poo platter of self-care. I love it. I love it. And really at this point, let's talk about who is this retreat for? So you were saying, so entrepreneurs for sure. But I mean, there is some entrepreneurs that feel or at least claim to feeling be feeling great all the time. They have, they have like a pretty well-balanced life. They're successful. They wouldn't want to change anything. But at the same time, there's people especially if they're building a business and it's an untested, you know, uh, type of product or service, there's a lot of stress. So can you tell us who you developed this retreat for? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say there's two primary personas. Um, the first one is somebody who is unhappy, stressed out, burnout, anxious, um, not sure what to do next, needs some clarity, but there's usually a sense of unhappiness that sits underneath of that founder, um, discomfort. That's the first kind of type of persona. The second one is really just seekers. There's a lot of people like you, and I would love to hear, like, I want to hear you answer the question, how has this changed your life and your business? Because I think it's also super important for your listeners. If they're, if they're coming back and listening to you again and again and again, I want them to hear what your experience has been with because that's the second, the second type of people are like lifelong learners, they're seekers, maybe they've been, I, I say that founders kind of go through this, uh, the, the, the founder journey is I start in the physical world, I end up in the gym, I change my diet, I start eating better, I change my physical body. That's the, the grossest way for, for positive change. Then I move into the mental world and I'm, I'm reading books, I'm listening to podcasts about happiness. And then I say, well, I want to try some of that stuff and I begin trying it and it makes me feel a certain way. Uh, and sometimes I don't like the way that I feel. Now I'm moving into the emotional body and I typically find coaches and therapists to help me with that. And then I finally end up in this, like, I want to go deeper. And that's where we end up in the spiritual body. And just to take like all of the woo woo out of this conversation um, I think that spirituality is just introspection. Spirituality is simply the knowledge of the self. It's turning my insights in on myself. There is no, there can be a bunch of woo-woo as a part of that, but there doesn't have to be. Um, I'm a studier of Vedanta, which is really like 4,000 year old philosophy that really explains how the world works. And it's very, very logical. So, yeah. A hundred percent. You just, you know, blew my mind. And I'm sure that people at home or wherever they are listening to this podcast, they have more questions than before. So I want to start breaking the, the, these, these points. So first off, you're right. Spirituality most times is not most times. It's generally logical and everything else that we call woo-woo is generally visual representations that are used by masters or someone else to explain things in a visual way, at least so that more people understand them. But at the core, it's super logical. And I do agree with you on that. 
The second thing you said you wanted me to share how uh, I, I basically ended up, you know, having this this change in, in my uh, in, in really my life. And what happened is I was doing electronic music for seven, eight years. I was doing very well. Then uh, we split with my band. I had a had a very bad couple of months, probably like six months, actually. And then I found out about the online world. I wanted to make money online. And I realized that I couldn't do everything on my own, no matter how much positive thinking I was going to use, no matter how many times I'd sit down and be like, I really want this. I really want this. Things were not happening. And unfortunately, because I was told in the past, you know, as long as you have a positive mindset and you show up every day, you know, the world will, you know, give back to you. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, there's so many other things that you need to do. First off, you need to take care of yourself. Like you said, your mind, your, your health and everything else. Uh, showing up every single day, it's not only about energy, like you know, eating and sleeping, but it's also about mindset and, and being able to manage your expectations, uh, knowing how much you can push. And if you can, if you go overboard one day, knowing how to, you can, you know, recharge your batteries the day after. And so that's what I did. I, I learned how to play in the, you know, the long game and enjoying every single day, uh, the best of my abilities. Um, Again, doing a lot of meditation, doing a lot of reading. Uh, I, I went on, uh, I never went on a retreat, unfortunately. I have some friends in Canada where we're based that do meditation retreats three, four times a year. And every single time that they did it, there was something and, 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 I'm, and I'm still you know, on the list to, to go to one of these retreats. But really at the end of the day, like you said, it's important for people to realize that uh, business is not life. You need to take care of your life first. And when you take care of your life first, things uh, will, uh, will really unfold. Now, I want to talk about a few things that uh, we were discussing before we started recording uh, the show. And I wanted to talk about decoupling net worth and self-worth. Really want to understand what you mean by it and how can people apply it to their everyday life. Yeah. So. The easiest way that I can explain it to a lot of entrepreneurs is from very early on in childhood, we are taught that if we like, it's starting as early as preschool now in some, in some geographies, like we have to get into the best preschool so we can get into the best elementary school so we can get into the best high school. And if I get into the best high school, I get the best grades, I have the best transcript, and then I get into a really good college. And then that college affords me the ability to like, either get my MBA from an even better school that I'm paying $150,000 for. And then I get a really great job working for a really big consulting firm. And then I have a beautiful house and a beautiful partner and a couple of cars and a few kids. And that's all going to make me happy. People have been selling and it sounds like you're from Canada. So I, I hate to use this word, but like people have been selling a bullshit American dream for a long time. And in fact, if you go back and look at the American dream, nowhere does it actually talk about happiness. But what we're taught from a very early age is to feel good about ourselves, to be successful. We have to have all of those things. So we put a lot of our self-worth, a lot of our happiness in the buckets of career and finance. And what happens is that if we run a company and it fails, or we end up spending all of our money trying to launch some product and it doesn't go the way we want it to, 
then, and if our, if our self-worth is directly connected to our net worth, how much money we have in the bank account, how big our company is, then my life can get really bad really quickly. And that's where we find founders with like enormous uh, instances of ADHD and substance abuse and bipolar and um, depression and all of these um, all of these conditions, these psychological conditions that become manifest when our lives don't go very well. So what part of the retreat is designed to do is decouple that. And the way that we do that is by we backstop and we build self-worth in other places. We realize that we are a good human being regardless of how much money we're making. And then on top of that, we start growing those other places. Um, we start looking for self-worth in other places. And the last thing we do is we move self-worth from an extrinsic model to intrinsic. So rather than looking at our self-worth from things like environment and career and finances, we really build self-worth in ourselves, like physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And when it comes from inside, it's unlimited. There is, there is an unlimited amount of self-worth if I'm building it from the inside out. From the outside in, it's always a scarcity resource. 100%. You said something, again, uh, I'm sure that my listeners at home are taking notes, unless they're driving. <laughs> if oh, they're driving, they probably can't and drive. <laughs> don't take notes right now. Uh, but listen, um, isn't it true that when you find self-worth inside, you're actually going to be able to work from a creative uh, perspective and you're going to do better work regardless. So your business will actually grow because you detached, you decouple self-worth from uh, net worth. So I, you mentioned something earlier. You said the word, um, I needed to recharge my batteries. And I wondered, like, when you finished meditation, or when meditation became a part of your life, did you feel like you had more energy to do the things that you were passionate about? A hundred percent more energy, more focused. And overall, I would just get more stuff done and sometimes less time than I did before. So, and do you know what's funny? So I didn't want to interrupt yeah, yeah, you, but please, I, I just ahead. wanted to finish this. It's funny because when I first, before starting meditation, my excuse for not trying it for months on end was who has 20 minutes to meditate? I am already, you know, the busiest person on earth. How can I take 20 minutes out of my busy schedule to do this thing? And then when I did it, like my entire schedule freed up all of a sudden. I'm like, what? <laughs> how is that possible? So, so I'll explain to you how it's possible. In fact, at least my, my theory, I think that everybody has theories, but, but, and I'm going to yeah. go just a tiny, tiny bit woo woo for just a moment. So if we um, look at Taoist principles and the Dharma, um, in, in theory, like we are put on this planet to, uh, or maybe in this body, in this incarnation to achieve something. And the, and the universe sort of has a, a plan for us. And oftentimes we spend a good 30 to 40 years figuring out what that plan is. And what I would offer is that when we sit in meditation and we start listening rather than talking, when we start listening to what our true nature is, whether you call it universe or spirit, or I, I always say, save a little room for spirit. Um, and if we start listening for that little voice inside of us, we then start to get to use energy from the universe rather than just energy on our own steam. 
So if I'm doing something with my own energy the entire time, and I am, I'm trying to roll a boulder up a hill, I get tired really fast. I can't do as much in a short amount of time. But if I start doing what the universe, what that little voice in my soul tells me to do, then I get to start rolling the boulder downhill and I can get way more done way faster, but it comes from listening first. So when you started to realize what your true purpose was and you started actually acting on that, we have, it feels like we have way more energy because we, it's, it's really less about that. And it's, we just don't have nearly as much resistance in our life. There's certain things that we hate to do. So I try and get people to stop doing them as quickly as possible. hundred percent. And I have to say some things that even those things, you know, on my schedule, I don't have always only things that I like to do. There are certain things that I dread doing sometimes, but now that I, you know, that I meditate and, and I'm able to stay in the moment, I can catch myself feeling that sense of discomfort inside and my chest and my stomach. And I ask myself, I'm able to do this before I couldn't, why am I really resisting this task, this chat, this, this, you know, whatever it is on the table that I have to do. And then I realized there may be a, a, you know, another reason, uh, a deeper reason. And if I work that out, like you said, then no resistance left. It's just uh, pure presence. I, I get my work done. Uh, and, and I feel a sense of pride in having been, been able to achieve that state of flow, even on those tasks that previously I didn't like doing as much. So I say that procrastination is resistance to an unwanted emotion, an undesirable emotion. So if I don't want to do something, there's likely some reason that I don't want to do it. And meditation, you, I couldn't have found a better outcome of meditation than what you just explained is that it gives you the opportunity to look at what you're feeling and decide how you want to approach that next thing. Because most of the time, it's not the thing that's causing us to dislike doing it. Most of the time, it's resistance to the thing. And if I can look at where the resistance come from, which is usually, like I say, something that happened between the ages of zero and 10, Oftentimes, a lot of our resistance comes in those really formative years. So if I can unpack where the resistance comes from and let go of the resistance or be okay with it, then the task becomes a lot easier. 100%. To quote quickly, Tim Ferriss, he, he was, I remember what book or podcast, I've been following him for <laughs> over a decade. So sometime he had said, you know, we, most people don't get stuff done the right way because they don't ask the right questions to themselves. Things like, for example, eating healthy. Some people say, "I might, like, why am I not losing weight? Why am I still, you know, the way that I was before? Better question would be like, how can I lose weight while still enjoying life to the fullest? Or even just adding that extra part to the question where you're not now solving the issue for X, you're solving it for X with Y. And Y is actually the part that makes the journey more enjoyable. And, and it makes total sense. Listen, uh, I would love to talk about all this stuff for literally hours and hours, but I want to move on to the next question because uh, this also really, really uh, got me interested. So developing a healing and, um, and healing a relationship with your company. So we're talking about having your relationship with our company. So how do we heal from the broken relationship that most entrepreneurs have? I'll make it really simple. And this is a great exercise to do. If you're in the car, don't do this. But if you're, when you get home, when you get to your desk, try this. 
sit at your desk and close your eyes and imagine your company as a person. Now put that person across the desk from you, across the kitchen table from you and start having a conversation with that person. Ask that person, what do you think of me? How good of a job did I do today? And I would tell you that eight out of 10 founders that I work with say that their company is mean and rude and like constantly tells you you're not good enough and you're an imposter. Like the company tells you all of these negative things. Now, there are also people who, who are like, man, my company is super supportive. I know that I'm doing things right. It like it keeps feeding me. And if that's your relationship with your company, keep fostering that. But if, if your company's constantly telling you you're an imposter, and then I'll go one step further. And if we look at the definition of codependence, codependence being like, if, if somebody feels good, then I feel good. But if that somebody feels bad, then I feel bad. We can translate that type of relationship to a company. If the company is doing well, then I am super excited. If the company is suffering, I am suffering. That is a classic definition of codependence. And that shows me that I now need to change the relationship with my company. And here's the beautiful part. It's super easy to do when you can reframe one thing. Your company is not a human being. It cannot talk to you. It cannot say things to you. It cannot treat you badly. All of those thoughts are coming from inside of you. So your brain is the one that is making you think that way. And my favorite quote from Einstein says, you cannot solve a problem with the same level of thinking that created it. So if you don't have help, if you don't have somebody to hold up a mirror and say, are you sure your company is saying this to you? Because it really sounds like you're saying this to yourself. It's really hard to see those patterns and behaviors. And once we see them, healing them becomes a natural process. But we got to, we, I can't give you a, a one-stop shop. Here's the way that we heal all of the relationships. Because some of it is parents, some of it is children, some of it is um you know, what happened to us when we were third graders? Like we have these thoughts and uh, that are built into us. I call it kind of version 1.0 of our programming. And unless we can upgrade to 2.0 and stop patching 1.0, then it's really hard to do the healing. 100%. I wanted to talk about uh, the founders. So another thing that you talk about a lot is putting the founders needs above the needs of the company, co-founders, our investors. Now, before we get into this point, I already can hear the voices of people at home saying, well, what if I do have investors that invested a lot of capital? Don't, shouldn't they hold me accountable? So I know that you don't mean it in the literal sense of, you know, don't care about everyone else, but how can we make the two coexist in the best possible way? Yeah. And I, I your investors probably gave you a lot of money to achieve a certain result and you agreed you took on some responsibility to your employees, to your co-founders and to your investors. I do not in any way think that you should shirk that responsibility. Here's the easy way out. If you are more fully resourced, if you are happier, if you are healthier, if you are more creative, you will be able to serve all of those people in a better way. We've heard of servant leadership and I, and I believe in servant leadership, but if we can resource ourselves better, then we can serve people better. It's like when you jump on an airplane and they and the the, the flight attendant says, "Put your oxygen mask, mask on first, so I you can help." Literally other about to say, 
<laughs> I was about to say that. It is, it's, it becomes really simple. I'm not telling anybody to like wipe away the slate and not care about them. I'm saying, put yourself first just long enough so you can help other people better. A hundred percent. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, when I was growing my business and, and I'm using these examples because my listeners at home know my story, most of them, and now they can start connecting the dots between what you're saying and how I had experienced my business. I remember back in the day, uh, before I had built my, my team, I was working 16 hour days. Um, I used to literally uh, post on Instagram for my clients up to midnight, go to bed, wake up six hours later at 6 a.m. to answer the comments under the post that I had posted at 12 o'clock. It was wow. just literally a nonstop uh, work day for me. And because I was just putting the needs of my clients before my own needs of recharging and everything else, I ended up at Toronto Western Hospital for several days and I was out of commission for six weeks. And guess what happened? My clients had no one to help yes. them for weeks on end. If I had only organized my day, but not only my day, but my entire life, like you said, to put my needs, my self-care needs before everyone else, I would have had already a sustainable business model that allowed me to deliver great, great services and products without having that long six weeks uh, off. Uh, that, but also, again, it scared the crap out of me, of course, because, uh, you know, I panic attacks, recurrent panic attacks, I don't really wish them on anyone. Uh, but yeah, so I totally understand what you're saying. So can I, so can I ask, because this is the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing for me and the hardest thing for a lot of founders. Where, where was your, like, if you could rewind, where was the tipping point? What was a symptom? What was something that happened in your life where looking back, hindsight being 2020, where you would say, I should have done something at this point? Like, was it a feeling? Was it like a panic attacks? Like, how could you, how could you spot it before um, it got too bad? So that's a great question. First off, I remember having uh, built a business to uh, about 10, 15K uh, monthly recurring revenue with my agency and, and saying to myself, you know, I'm very happy because it's scaling and everything else. But I realized that when I was hitting those 10, 15 K months, I was not sleeping that well. I was eating garbage every single day. I was uh, cranky. My, my wife now, but back then we were just dating. Um, uh, she, she told me, she's like, I can't stand you when you like the more your business grows, the more I can't stand you. And wow. back then, instead of taking a step back and saying, wait a minute, let me reorganize my thoughts, my business uh, systems and everything else. I thought I got to keep on running. I got to keep on making things happen. Then the breakdown happened. I went to the hospital. Like I said, I couldn't work. Like the doctor said, if you touch anything and you and, and you your heart rate goes up one more time, you're gonna be back at the hospital. So I couldn't do anything. And when I was off, I listened to a lot of podcasts. I did a lot of you know personal work as well. And and that's really when I realized. I said I need to find a way. See, going back to asking the right questions, I said I need to find a way to work six to seven hours a day have a system of people that are working for me so that then I can enjoy life and take care of everything else at the same time. And that's when 
really things started, you know, rolling in the right direction. And now, thankfully, it's been over a half a decade. Things are great. I feel great. Uh, I work just in right amount of hours. And the rest of the time, I spend it with my beautiful wife. We just had a daughter. And to be completely uh. honest, I don't think I would have been in a situation where I'm right now if I didn't take that uh, personal growth step. You know, the, 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 we begin to change when the pain exceeds the pleasure. And I think that some people have to hit that bottom. So, so first of all, I wanted to thank you for sharing that because um, it's really important for other people to hear it. I also want to reflect a couple things back that this is a death by a thousand paper cuts because it's always just one little thing. It's one Instagram post. It's one more phone call. It's one more email. But what happened is, you, and as I talked before, like when we were talking about the, you start in the, we start healing in the physical body, the mental, emotional, spiritual, your symptoms also started showing up in the same way. You started eating crappy food. You started probably using caffeine as substitutes. Then you began, um, your wife started poking your emotional buttons. And I say to my founders, like, it's not their fault for pressing your buttons. It's your fault for having buttons to press. <laughs> and yes, we I get like, it. when people press our buttons there, that's where we get to do the work. We need to, we need to figure out and burn out the reactivity in those things. So I, I love what you said. And I guess the biggest, the biggest picture that I could give to a founder or a new entrepreneur, you probably started your company for freedom. You wanted freedom to make all the money that you wanted to make. You wanted freedom in your schedule. You wanted freedom not to report to, to a boss anymore. And what usually happens is we slowly start to mortgage away our freedom. We mortgage away our freedom and we say, oh, well, now I'm, I'm reporting to employees and I'm reporting to investors. Now I am reporting to my clients and that really affects my freedom with my schedule. So when you start slowly mortgaging away your freedom and somebody says to you, hey, I haven't seen you in six months, like we were good friends before. Those are the little voices on like both shoulders that you need to start listening to because they're, they're telling you something and listen early or end up in the hospital. A good friend of mine spent a year and a half in a very similar situation to you. He was in the hospital for a while. There was treatment for a while. He went out into the woods for a while and just like went off the grid. And he's finally back a year and a half later. And I don't want that to happen to anybody. A hundred percent. And you know what it is? And, and we're actually going to, this is actually going to take us into the fourth question that I wanted to ask you about how to incorporate self-care and mindfulness in the entrepreneurial journey. A lot of people mortgage away their freedom because they are waiting for something great to happen down the road. They started a business and they say, when I'll get to seven figures, I'll relax. When I'll have that big client, I will relax. But that moment never gets there because once you make seven, like, like so many people that I know, my, my coaching clients, like everyone, sometimes they don't even know they got to seven figures because they're so caught up in the business. They run the net worth statements and they're like, wait a minute, we are millionaires. But see, like at the end of the day, when you get into that mentality of hustle and that's it, you're in a tunnel, you don't see anything else. Um, I just I bought, think that, you're the first ahead, person sorry. I've told this to, I just bought miserablemillionaire.com this week. <laughs> Because oh, nice. I think it's a fallacy. <laughs> Every one of my founders say, if I just, I can't wait until I make my first million, I'll be happy when I make my first million. It's total <laughs> bullshit. 
A hundred percent more, more money, more problems. If anything, that's exactly how it sounds like we got investors (laughs) calling us every, every, every couple of days or someone that wants to sell me a multifamily, multifamily property, something else that's happening. Like the more the business grows, the more problems. If you don't have systems in place and you know, I'm big in systems, the remote CEO, the coaching program is exactly that. Uh, remote teams and business systems to free up your schedule. And, and when you free up your schedule, what do you do? You do exactly what you teach. So I want to actually get into that question about how to incorporate self-care in a very busy, very, very busy entrepreneur's life. Yeah. So I'll make it super easy. And then we can touch on a couple of smaller points, but I tell people to use the 80-20 rule. Uh, The Pareto principle has been around for many, many years. And if you spend eight hours working, you should spend two hours in self-care. That's like, that is the way that I have healed the relationship with myself and my business doing that. Um, Now, when people say self-care, like, oh, who has two hours to meditate? And I'm not saying that at all. And, And I think the the door to self-care is super wide and anybody can walk through it. So if we go back to physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, like physical, start getting your body healthy, drink lots of water, get good sleep, eat fresh organic food, get some exercise, get some massage or body work or whatever that looks like for you. Um, If we move into the emotional body, it's meditation and awareness practices, um, self-reflection, journaling. Um, did I say, did I say emotional or mental there? Um, those were, uh, I was thinking emotional stuff. Um, mental, mental. Yeah. Yeah. So, so mental is really about, um, setting, like I, I really encourage people to set smart goals. Um, so specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time bound. So if, um, I achieve this goal, then X is going to happen. Um, working with coaches and mentors, um, reading books about uh, how to be happier, healthier, and also how to scale your business. Um, If we can let go of the need for control and we can bring people in to help us do the work we need, then we can give up a lot of the tasks that we don't need to do anymore. Um, The emotional side is what I was kind of mentioning before is meditation, self-reflection, compassion, gratitude. So Brene Brown talks a lot about gratitude and the one and the primary, um, the primary driver for being a wholehearted being in her words is gratitude. So realizing what your gratitude for and actually having a gratitude practice, like writing down what you're grateful for. And then finally, like the spiritual world is again, meditation and prayer. If you are into uh, philosophy, like look at Vedanta, if you're into energy work, look at Reiki or Qigong or Tantra. Um, I do a lot of work with um, sacred medicine practice in in South America. There are a lot of ways to build consciousness uh, into who you are and to learn about who you are. So it's at that point, at the spiritual level, it's all hands on deck, like do whatever you want to do to make yourself feel better. 100%. 100%. I think that big takeaway from what he just told us is that self-care is not only, you know, shaving, showering, and uh, and taking a bubble bath. There's so many different types of self-care. Anything that feels good that doesn't have, I guess, like a, a secondary, uh, you know, like meaning to the end, like 
if I enjoy doing it, going for walks, like for example, my wife and I are now in Italy. We've been here for quite a bit because of COVID, but our idea was we don't want to be in Toronto where it's, you know, winter basically from September to May. And we decided we want to be here because once we're done work, we're just going to go to the beach. We're going to go for a nice walk. It's always nice weather. We, we are able to do so much more. And that is in its own way a, a form of self-care. When I come back from a long walk in nature, you know, I don't even like, I'm not talking about meditating, just a walk in nature. I just come back. I feel refreshed. I feel yeah. good. I want to work more. And the work that I want to do is not compulsive. Like, let me sit down in front of a computer and let's let, let me, let me send five emails because I need to. No, no, no. It's like 100% creative work. The good work that gets you in a state of flow. I, I want to, I yeah, want to make one thing um, that I, I encourage selfishness is, is a word that we don't use very often. In fact, selfishness is trained out of us. It is like bred out of us from a, from when we're a little, when we're a little kid, like don't be selfish, share your toys. Like, and what I have to really work with people is selfishness is a good thing. Selfishness is good when you are building internal self-care, when you are building the physical, mental, emotional self-care, be as selfish as you need to be, because if you are improving yourself, you'll be able to help others. Selfishness in the, in the external world, money, property, things, probably not going to give you sustained long-term happiness. So I'm, I give people absolute permission until, I, in fact, I recommend that they write themselves a permission slip, grab a post-it note. If you're sitting at your desk right now, write on a post-it note, I give myself permission to take care of myself today. I give myself permission to go get a facial or to meditate or to take a walk, write the permission slip and then go and do it um, because you're helping yourself. A hundred percent. This chat has been absolutely mind blowing. I'm super happy that I had you on, uh, on my show GV. So um, let's talk about the retreat right now. When is it happening? Where can people buy their tickets if they haven't already after this 45 minute conversation? Yeah, the, um, the retreat, we're really excited. Uh, Founders Thriving um, is a creation, a brand new creation. Um, it has taken 15 years of self-care work and 25 years of business work, and we're jamming it all together into this amazing experience. Um, it is in um, just outside of San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's five days on the beach, on a private beach. All of the transportation is taken care of. We get you there. All you have to do is show up in Costa Rica at the airport, and we take care of everything else for you. Beautiful food, yoga, meditation, breath work every day, workshops with master teachers to go through some of this thought work. Um, it's September 19th through the 25th, uh, 2021, just for anybody listening to this show later. Um, <laughs> and to, to find out information, um, if you go to founderthriving.com slash retreat, we'll give you a whole bunch of information about the retreat itself. And if you're interested, if you scroll to the bottom of that page, there's a little two-step application process. Uh, I want to know, I talk to every single person who is coming to the retreat. I want to know what people want to get out of it. And we are really customizing this to the people that are there. We're, we're doing founder fireside chats every night on the beach. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a really amazing experience. 
And now I got listeners at home. They're super excited about going to your website and checking it out. So can you tell us one more time, what type of entrepreneur should really take advantage of this? What type of person should, should uh, come to the retreat? Yeah, for the retreat, anybody who is a business owner. So it doesn't matter if you're in tech or real estate or whatever industry you're in. Business owners have this a lot of the same feelings and, and they, they are in two buckets. Business owners who are unhappy with their business today, struggling with their relationship, or business owners who are really seeking and want to deepen their um, kind of emotional and spiritual practices. Uh, those are people that are, are going to love this work as well. Awesome. GV, again, thanks a lot for being on the show. In the meantime, I'm sure that people will also want to check you out online. Do you have a website where you can send uh, our uh, listeners to? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, GV, letters G is in Gary, V is in Victor, freeman.com. Uh, you can head over there. If you're interested from a, a chatting with me perspective, there's a link on the homepage to book an integration session. Um, if you want to go to the retreat, there's always a, also a link over there to founderstriving.com. Awesome. Perfect. Judy, again, thanks a lot. And I'm looking forward to having you back in the show on the show on the future. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, if anybody has any questions, I'd love to chat with uh, you or any of your listeners. And this is it for today. CEOs, thanks for staying with us until the end. Can I ask you a big favor? Can you please leave a review? I know the podcast app is not super straightforward. So if you don't know how to leave a review, just DM me on Instagram at B. D-E-N-I-E-R-O-B and I will send you the direct link to the review section and to show you my appreciation, I will answer any business question you ask me during that conversation. So thank you again and I will talk to you again soon.